Welcome to The Corner, La Source's digital show dedicated to the sport and entertainment industry. Every two weeks, we invite a professional to share their experience, background, and challenges. The sport industry moves fast, and having their insights is the best way to keep up to speed. Welcome to The Corner. Hello everyone, welcome to Lassius International Podcast Corner. Today we have the privilege and honor to have Kyle Butch, who is already leading today the uh, Global Sports Venture Studio at RGA. Kyle, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing great, JB. Great to, uh, <laughs> great to see you. It's a bit weird to, to do this kind of podcast, not, not in person, but remotely through Zoom or Teams. How do you feel today? <laughs> Uh, you know, we had uh, we had Thanksgiving over here in the states, so there's a little bit of uh, slowly kind of getting things going and and kicking a bit of dust off. But like I was, you know, saying before, I you know we're into that kind of sprint to the end of the year and and starting to really think a lot more about what first couple quarters of next year will be like. So it's good, you know. I'm, I, I like planning ahead and and trying to kind of figure out where things are going to go. Cool, cool. Uh, like I said, you, you're now running the uh, Global Sports Venture Studio uh, for for our audience and for our listeners. Maybe they don't know really what, what it is about. And, and so just if you can tell us briefly, uh, because you've been in, in RGA for, for more than 10 years now, uh, can you tell us a bit more about your background, what is RGA and, and, and where you are at today with the GSVS initiative? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Background wise, you know, uh, somebody, you know, went to went to school in Southern California, kind of was fortunate having been in school kind of right before a lot of Internet digital kind of world took off. So came out of school, having probably learned a little bit more of a traditional business background and was was really lucky in that a. Uh, an alumni of USC who was a few, few years older than me, a guy named Michael Sterner was starting a digital agency in Southern California. And I kind of, you know, got got pulled into this world of essentially advertising guys who were forward thinking enough to make the leap and kind of transform and, and lean into digital. And so spent a few years kind of helping to build that company, build some products there. And, you know, all the while was a huge sports fan who was, you know, running my own sports blogs on the side and every every way that I could start to play with the tools and apply this passion of sports. And, and that led me to RGA. And, you know, at the when, time, when was that more or less? When was that? This was, so this was like, yeah, it was like 2006. And so you were kind of about, you were just on the cusp of something new. Like, I remember, I, I think I was like, you know, signed up user number 1200 on Twitter and like dove in on Tumblr, like the minute it was up and running, because it seemed so exciting and all these things. So I was definitely sort of dabbling in a lot of that. But at the time, you know, it was still blog centric. That was social media was really a lot of that. And that helped, I think, you know, bolster my resume in terms of going to RGA who had this, you know, longstanding relationship with Nike and, and, you know, being able to be the guy who, you know, had that background of working, understanding sport, being able to go kind of build and, and create things. And at the time, RGA, RGA, RGA now is, is, is what is it? It's not a media company. But it, it, how, how would you describe it? We describe ourselves as as kind of an innovation company. Reality is it's sort of hybrid of you know roots in more digital agency and and actually going back to commercial film production, moved into more traditional advertising. So you know all of the sort of 
media, the, the creation, creative side, technology side. And then we've- And so the and, digital space as well. Yeah, more, more digital. You know, it's kind of funny because for a while there, we did some ads. We did some Super Bowl ads for Beats by Dre. And now it's like, well, I mean, you're shooting something. It's probably going to end up on YouTube more likely than it's going to end up on TV at this point. Um, and so those lines started to really blur. At the same time, we pushed into consult- uh, consulting practice as well. And I think that was- you know, really around the kind of innovation side of consulting and, and the way that brands had to evolve to, to be more functional in that, that digital world. And lastly, about seven years ago, started to build a ventures practice within RGA. And that, that was, I think, less about the VC investment side, though we, we are making investments and I think have moved a bit more in that direction. But at the time, I think it was more looking at all the corporate partners and, and clients that we had who knew they needed to get more involved in how they engaged the startup ecosystem, be it through, you know, M&A and investment, or just, hey, these tools, these technologies are going to help, are going to disrupt and upend our industry. How can we be out in front seeing more of that, figuring out the right ways to learn and engage that? So that, like I said, was, you know, about seven years ago, and and we've sort of continued to evolve our model and, and been fortunate to, to work with a number of corporate partners. One of the first being being the Los Angeles Dodgers, which uh, which led to a lot of, of where we are now in terms of that global sports venture studio. Yeah, before we jump onto the sports side, and I'll go back to the uh, Dodgers as one of the first incubator accelerator, and I will come back to that, but I like the journey of RGA where you said it's about consultancy first, and then we also realized that as part of innovation strategy, they were trying to understand a bit the venture side of things like the VC world, but also the MA and how you can also anticipate trends or acquire some assets or different technologies that are there to actually help you boost your core value. Um, I would like to understand a bit better how you see that as well for sports. I mean, RDA Ventures, what, what exactly do you do? Is it, is it like strategic intelligence or business intelligence to understand one market? Is it purely financial in terms of like M&A or is it also to help uh, different companies and because we're, we're working in the sport industry, is it to, to, to help franchises, clubs, leagues, federations to figure out what's coming next and how they can better engage with these kind of stakeholders? What, what's what's the, the core reasons for RGA Ventures actually? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it can vary a bit. And and I think, you know, you and I and working together have experienced some of this. You have certainly some some corporate partners, you know, the Dodgers through their investment group, Elysian Park Ventures, very active investors. And, and when we're identifying companies for them, it is probably through the lens of does this make sense as an investment within our overall portfolio and various investment theses. For some other partners, they they maybe have that aspiration to get there. You see this a lot you know, I think honestly, we have a lot of conversations with other pro sports franchises and teams because they've, they've seen what the Dodgers have done. You know, Tucker Kane, the team over there have done an amazing job and coming in as a Southern California sports fan, the Dodgers were quite frankly, a bit of a distressed asset. You know, you had one of the greatest kind of storied franchises and and they came in and restored a lot of that and, and built a, some great businesses on top. And, and then there's other partners who, yeah, like I said, they, they aren't totally there yet. Um, or, or they may be, you know, thinking about things that, that maybe start as more something that we can experiment with, but Hey, that worked really well. Let's make a strategic investment. Now, other corporate partners outside of sports, we've worked with people like Macquarie, 
uh, massive, you know, global bank in there. Those are probably our jobs, probably more that sort of diligence, strategic investment. Let's, okay, these are the areas you want to get into. Let's define really what the opportunities are within there. So, okay, sustainability in cities. Okay, where are the areas where you could really play? Oh, okay, here's something that converts air vapor to water in areas where maybe it's a, a climate or, or where there's not as much available clean drinking water. Okay. Hey, that's an area that's underserved right now. And that's, an, you know, we see a growing opportunity. So helping to kind of define within macro areas, what are some of those subsets? And these RGA ventures, like as a partner, do you just make recommendation or sometimes do you co-acquire? Like is the investment on both sides or... Yes, we typically try to make, we will typically make investments with partners. We've made, you know, some ourselves. So you put skin in the game? We put skin in the game, both in in the terms of financial capital and what we would describe as creative capital. So you've got RGA with this great lineage of, you know, technology, design, marketing. And if you're a startup who, you know, could benefit from, hey, let me get a team who helped build the Nike Plus platform or who helped, you know, build a brand like a, you know, a Beats by Dre great, I'm getting this top tier talent um, to help think about my business for, you know, what are ultimately pretty small investments in terms of what, you know, in terms of what they're giving up or, you know, compared to some others out there who may really ask for large stakes for what we would say oftentimes is maybe more relationship and financial, but not necessarily bringing those added skills. Okay, cool. And yeah, let, let's go back. I mean, now that we've been like, having some kind of big picture around it and what RGA and so the consulting, but also the, the venture side, but the whole point of this is that, like you mentioned, 2015, you launched the Elidor Juris Accelerator Program. And we've just had recently, Charles from Le Tremplin, where they also launched in 2015. So you were kind of the first initiators on the market for a, an incubator or an accelerator in sports. And, and so I would like to hear a bit more your side of the story in terms of how did it came together? What, why the Dodgers acceleration program? What was in it? And how did it merge or how did it transform itself almost naturally into the Global Sports Venture Studio? Yeah. So, you know, I think when we, when the, you know, we started those conversations with the Dodgers and, and built that it was, it was really early within sports innovation. And, and that's, you know, if you think back to 2015, that's a, it's a little crazy to think because of how much was happening in other spaces. But as you and I know, there's a number of reasons why sometimes it's not as easy for sports to move as fast. It's also a business that the status quo was doing quite well for a lot of people. And so there wasn't, you know, still doing quite well, huh? It's still doing quite well. And so you weren't racing, even though, hey, Netflix is becoming big. I'm not racing to disrupt these billion dollar media rights contracts to to chase a future. That's a that's a huge investment to make. And at the same time, you know, you had seen things like Major League Baseball Advanced Media that turned into BAM tech that eventually turned into a almost $4 billion acquisition by Disney, you were seeing the seeds of it, right? You were seeing areas, you were seeing early stage startups. Let's face it back then, technically, you know, things like fanatics were getting started. We're, we're building as a business that are, that's now obviously a multi-billion dollar unicorn. And so, yeah, so we pushed into that space with the Dodgers, saw those early days of, of earlier stage companies and making those kind of investments. And, and, how was it like? I mean, 2015, I mean, it's not even the infancy. It's right 
it's it's the right beginning of sports tech and and these kind of initiatives and this new world and trying to figure that out. How how did it work out? I mean, for you, for, for the Dodgers, like what what was the main reasons behind it? So it, it the it evolved over the first two years of the program. I think the first year uh, was very. It was, you know, it was these much more early stage companies. It probably skewed more the performance side and the like. Around the coaches. There was, a, you know, platform conduct that was like early athlete management platform. And, and those guys who, you know, were just fantastic out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, big fishing town, um, but had, had really built something great. And, you know, there was those kind of things that were very, as you know, if there's one area where sports teams will invest, it's in that talent on the field and how do you make them better, healthier, all that. And then there were things like Appetize, which was early mobile point of sale. Hey, yeah, the future's going to be ordering from my phone in stadiums. And so those that was a lot of that year one. And, and where it went in year two, I think, was some earlier or some later stage companies uh, more in the media side of it. So you started to get into things that were maybe you know, pushing well past things that were, were as core to the Dodgers business and more, Hey, these have implications well outside of that, maybe even outside of sports. And so what I think that nature for, for people listening to us, you mean like series B or even series C startups uh, or it's probably, more probably, you know, I think series A to series B, you know, probably coming in more in the A and by the time, hopefully, you know, not long after running through a program, okay, you're ready to raise another, another round. So, you know, versus I think some that were, were, I don't want to say seed or angel, but, you know, always kind of in those definitely less of the joining a big, huge, you know, round with a ton of other VCs. Um, and so, you know, I think probably more companies that had maybe a bit more of a client base in place, uh, you know, versus ones that were maybe a little earlier, had a couple early stage clients, but were really looking to hit scale. These are ones that are maybe a little further on scaling. Um, but now again, thinking about other industries they can push into what's that, what's that force multiplier to get them to, to bigger growth. And so from, from this, I understand the transformation. And I guess it's also coming from the needs from the Dodgers and their investors, like you said, Asian Park, and and I mean, you now are leading the uh, global soft venture studio where you have Adidas, Levi, um, Fox. I mean, so you have big brands, big sponsors, uh, broadcasters. You also have major leagues like the MLS, the MLB. You have also the Dodgers, which is a franchise. Wi-Fi is also part of it. So, is is it like a natural trend, or what? How would you describe it? Is it because it was tough for the Dodgers alone, or it's because you need this kind of strategic collaborations between these partners to actually maximize the value creation? Or what was the reason behind moving from, from a pure accelerator model to some kind of a studio model? Yeah, so, so that second year, we saw that Having come out of the first year, we saw that there was more value than I think we probably even anticipated in the actually putting the stuff out in the wild. Sure, it's it's it would be great for Conduct to get a check. It was great for them to get some of that creative capital. But if we could help get them adopted more broadly and use those relationships that the Dodgers had, you know, you think about within the Dodgers ownership group, you have people like Peter Goober, who owns 
part of the Warriors. And you see, you know, you start to see this network, you know, sports can be a pretty tight knit community. And so as we got in the second year, it was more, how do we, how do we put pilots out in the world? You know, I think one that we were really proud of that we, we worked on with, with Fox sports involved some piloting and experimentation around multiple technologies that could help automate aspects of a broadcast. So it was really scaling, scaling the range, like both from sports performance, but also fan engagement. And it worked, you know, it was, it worked on both sides where we were creating what we, you know, would say is more value for the startups, giving them, Hey, these are, these are now paying customers and really great use case proof points as well as for the, for the, other partners in that case it was fox sports you know the dodgers had this network of media and and sponsor partners and all this and so that you know i think that was the was the big unlock was wow okay you know there's now as there's more and more accelerators trying to find capital by that point you know it was a very mature just everywhere invest investors athletes jumping in to do seed investments and and take stake in these companies so it really was okay, you know, we can be different by being a better at, at getting those things put out in the wild, getting, you know, putting innovation in play, I think was, was one of the ways we talk about or having a bias towards action, not just, you know, those investments. And I think what we saw after a couple of years was exactly what you just said. Like if, if a lot of the value is how do we put things out in the wild, why not bring more people, more parts of the world, more other sports, into that mix and that, that, you know, and, and at the same time for them, we had built a model that we felt like could start to scale better than just servicing one corporate partner directly. And that, that was kind of, I think where a lot of it evolved. And, and as you've, I think experienced firsthand, it's something that we're continuing to iterate on. And, and certainly the last eight months or so just changed a lot of how we have to work with partners. Yeah, on this one, I will, I will come back to it because I think we'll focus a bit on the pandemic and what it means. And actually, I think there's a good good question to ask later on, on the success from the past and how you can need to prepare for the future. But before we jump into this, this part of the discussion, I was thinking in terms of what is for you? I mean, like you said, now you have years of experience. You've run different uh, pilots work. I mean, you've, you've worked around innovation for many years. You've seen the pros and cons from different organizations. What are the main pain points? I mean, you do also consultancy, but when, imagine you have a new client coming in. What, what is for you the main pain points or what is the common traits that you see and that you would like to tell us one organization might please avoid to do or what are the, the main challenges that you see from, from your side? You know, it's, it, as you could imagine, I think it varies between leagues, teams, some of these different partners. But mm-hmm. I the, the most common thread is as all these things move really quickly, who are going to be the stakeholders who can drive things forward? And and do they have the right backgrounds? You know, there's some we have worked with some incredibly talented people, but as the demands around data get more sophisticated, it's like, well, now you, you kind of need like those data science backgrounds. And we, you know, you may have a little bit of that on the performance science side, but, but how do we get those people from a marketing standpoint? So I, you know, like so much of business, I think we're going through that. I hate to say changing of the guard because I'm old enough that I really don't want to get changed out too soon. But I, I, you know, I do think that's part of it is just what's the evolving team in terms of personnel that, that makes you successful. Uh, so, so I think it's that, I think it's, you know, just move again, moving kind of at the speed of business and sport today. 
And so how do you, you know, find things that this is great, but like the next window where we're set up to pilot it is 2022. How do we, how do we move fast enough? And sports in some ways moves really quickly. And in other ways, I think as we said before, has these legacy deals that really encourage them not to move too quickly. Um, that's, that's been, that's been a lot of it. And, and I think that even just the last couple of years, you really see a lot of that changeover. You see the organizations making that kind of change and, and how do we now get more people in place and, and how do we think about entirely new ventures to be spent? And that, especially now I think is real estate. How do we build these experiences around a, a stadium? How do we, you know, I've talked to some, some, teams and, and leagues that are, hey, let's go build our own consulting practice. We're really good at hospitality or getting fan, you know, optimizing the revenue of getting fans into seats. How do we maybe take those learnings and bring them elsewhere? You, you really in sport, I mean, you guys see it more in European soccer than anywhere. So especially, I guess, Premier League soccer. The money coming in now is different. You know, Steve Cohen buys the Mets. I mean, this is a billionaire many times over in terms of you know his investment prowess. Same goes for for uh, David Tepper and the uh, the Panthers, and certainly over there where you've got international money coming from every different direction. And so, in that, I think again, that personnel extends all the way up to the owner as that's changing the ways you could think about investment. Chart start to dimensionalize a lot. Do you see the, this kind of new growth? Because we, you you mentioned data. That's one thing. You you mentioned maybe the hospitality, but more generally the kind of live events or so digital, like between physical and digital, where you have new properties acquiring different properties to actually create these kind of new experiences. But you also have health and nutrition. So. How, do you, how have you seen that evolved over time in terms of, okay, we, we know, I mean, sports used to be very traditional. Now it's transforming itself into a media company, but now it's even more than this. It's because we have high reputation. How, how do you see that? Where do you see the, the big growth opportunities? You know, I think I'm glad you said it, framed it the way you did. I think, you know, we've gone from a phase one was really, introducing and, and finding the on-ramp for innovation to come into sport more to bring, you know, as so many things, LeBron and his mm -hmm. team, you, you hear the story. Oh, Hey, he made a bunch of money just being paid in stock from beats and, and instead of just taking an all cash deal. And, and so, you know, as you've had more of that coming in, which, you know, I think it's, it's understanding there are a lot of different strategic investment partners who can really help accelerate the timeline of a business which now I think is getting more interesting because we are seeing innovations that, that have implications well past just sport. I'm of the mindset that, you know, those who can invest in things, the performance technologies today are, you know, we're about to take a, you know, an industry that at least in the U S I think is about 20% of GDP in healthcare and, shake the snow globe and, and reinvent it. And if you're sports, if you're going, this has helped extend careers, this is, you know, these are, these are 
why, you know, you start to scale things that start with the LeBrons of the world and, and bring them down and, and, you know, they're, they're proven. And, and so I think in health, I think in, you know, virtual fitness, um, you know, some, some early, there were some early things that led to a, a Peloton who's a, whatever it is, $35 billion company. So I think that's the next phase is there's going to, the people who can invest, can invest in things that will be much more transformative than just purely sport. Okay, cool. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think completely share the view. And to, to go back to another point that we touched upon, and you mentioned the pandemic. For you, I mean, what one threat I think for any industry, and this can be sports or any type of industry, is relying too much on the past successes to make sure you, you remain within the status quo that you mentioned. And this is the biggest risk and maybe the biggest failure of one industry is not to rethink its future just to be successful and just keep what has been doing its success in the past. So for you, how, how have you seen the pandemic? How have you seen the reaction of the different members of the Global Sports Venture Studio? But where, where do you see the industry heading? Because at the end, also RGA is... As you said, you're very much into consultancy, but also advertisements and into the digital space. And you see this shift in terms of maybe advertisement in the news has been declining for the last 15 years on linear TV. It's it's dropping now while you see it on social media and everywhere else going up. So how do you see that like all shifting around for new value creation and What, what, what's the take on the pandemic? And if, I mean, you don't have a, um, I'm not asking you to, to read within a bubble and, and to imagine the future, but what, what's your take on it? So, you know, I think we've all experienced this, the hard, it's been hard for so many people and, and obviously a lot harder for a lot of other people outside of sport. So, you know, taking it, keeping it all within perspective, but uh, you know, there's, been similar to a lot of business and a lot of just society. There's this first wave of like, we just got to take care of this. We've got to keep people safe. We've got to, you know, shore up the business where we can, um, you know, make the best of a tough year. As we got further into the this sort of fourth quarter, you, you're right, right back where we were in, in April, May. At that time, it was how do we play what's left of our season? Now it's how we in a lot of cases play an entire season and, and know that economically, we need to play as much of those seasons as possible. So I think that lingering uncertainty has been, has been challenging. I think the big thing, um, you know, we work, our, one of our GA's largest or our largest client is Verizon, uh, you know, here in the States, we do a ton of work with them, huge sports sponsor, right? One of the larger companies in terms of ad spend in sport, top three, top five, the shift there that you clearly see is a technology company spending a lot in sport is we don't want to sponsor the halftime show. I mean, we're happy to have that added exposure, but Verizon's not suffering from looking for problems here. What they want is we want to deploy our technologies. We want to enable the future. We want to be part of that future of sport through 5G. And we're happy to bring capital in, in the form of investment and, and real technology investment. But you know, that's the way we want to activate and want those relationships to work, which to me is, is what's really exciting going into 2021 is those organizations recognize and are probably better positioned, you know, Verizon, I don't want to say, you know, pandemic proof by any means, but at the same time, none of us stopped using our phones over this. That's, right. that's one thing that's for certain. And so I think 
to me, the unlock that gets sports to the next level next year, it'll, it'll be a mix of new investment capital, SPACs, all these different ways that, that big money can come in and, and help and you know, take some ownership stakes at a time when you know, you've got assets that are poised to appreciate over the next couple of years as they, they recover. And at the same time, how do you bring those corporate partners in and, and think about it in a different way? How, and this is, you know, goes back to what I said before around having the right people that can set the right innovation agenda and can go to those big sponsors and say, this is what we're building and this is how we're getting there. We want you to be a part in the same way. We want you to be a partner in that, not just a sponsor of that. We don't, you, you know, all that. And how do you see the articulation? I mean, these, these comes to the essence of what the Global Sports Venture Studio is all about. I mean, you have different place uh, stakeholders, you have different companies, uh, you have sports franchises, you have leagues, uh, but you also have, like you said, like media companies of Verizon coming in. And, and I think it's very true to say as well that sports, as much as they are powerful, they don't have necessarily the, the background or the, the level of maturity to have all the uh, engineers or the data scientists to actually provide new experiences, new new ways to engage with the fans. And so you need to leverage as well your sponsors. And you mentioned Verizon. So how do you see that playing within a studio like the one of Global Suspension Studio for the year to come? How do you see that going forward for the um, for the industry to actually bring on new experiences, new stories to the fans? I think in the, in the simplest way, you know, if you're kind of thinking like Venn diagram style, you're sort of looking for that intersection between, you know, sports organization, that corporate partner and, and startup innovations. So, you know, I think Verizon, uh, Verizon, you know, a good example of that a couple of weeks ago launched this 5G performance center with the Phoenix Suns. Basically, you know, Suns, you know, building a really gorgeous brand new facility, Verizon being there and, and what you have is, you know, that Verizon corporate partner, Phoenix Suns and NBA and startups like Shot Tracker who are in there, you know, building technologies right into that center and, and you know, some technologies that, you know, a, a platform Noah that can literally you go out and start shooting and just, you know, your player who wants to come in and shoot around at three in the morning, like Kobe used to. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's just going to know, Hey, that's Devin Booker. I reckon we recognize his shot. Now we can incorporate that into our overall data model as, as we analyze players. And, and so you get to the end and for Verizon, it's yeah, this is the power of 5g that we can be capturing those things in real time. We can have screens that are literally showing a player his data as he's doing it, not waiting to have some analysis that he's going to look at on a tablet four hours. Mm. I think that's that's the unlock we try to get to. And, and look, the corporate partners don't have to be technology. Um, number of clubs over there work extensively with with Adidas here in the States. MLS, really a, a important partner there. Are there things that we can look at? Uh, MLS has done really well engaging younger fans through esports. Adidas launches some things with EA around connected soccer boot, you know, ways to go out and, and have performance that even finds its way back in the video game. And so those can even be some of the the unlocks where you just help find ways to to put that in market and maybe accentuate or or accelerate it through some startup partnerships as well. Mm. And what's I mean, all that is for me, I mean, makes complete sense for me and very fascinating. And 
You mentioned at some point packs, which are just a way to do IPO, but in a very much faster way, I would say. But what's what's your view on the uh, on the VC world and actually on the investor side? Because you you mentioned that in Europe, obviously we we see them more and more active in terms of buying new assets, new properties, being clubs or or other companies, or even doing main deals with with leads. Uh, nowadays. So what, what's your take in terms of what's the rationale behind it? How do you see that coming in in terms of what are they looking at and what do they want? And actually it's a bit, I mean, maybe after we'll discuss a bit also of the difference you see between the US and Europe, but I would be interested to hear from you on your side in the US, how do you see the, the VC world playing a new role maybe in the evolution of sports for the years to come? Yeah, I think between VC, like you said, the sort of SPAC idea, which it's so funny how fast this year has has moved in certain ways where, you know, I had some conversations with a lot of the, the big private equity firms that, you know, you saw this quickly as things were, sport was really getting hit hard and they were all, you know, raising funds. The leagues were starting to go, hey, we can have loosen the restrictions on bringing in more investors. And then within three months, it was like, yeah, forget that. We're just going to take some of these companies public. Like, you know, hey, you know, Redbird comes in, you know, looks at ways that they can partner with somebody like Fenway Sports Group in Liverpool. Mm -hmm. And we just jump right to that. So I think on the the bigger investment side, that's that's certainly part of it is that you've got all this capital as we're seeing everywhere, right? Like, you know, the valuations of companies like Amazon keep climbing even in the face of economic challenges. And so I think that there's that side, I, you know, I think VC wise, you're starting to see just uh, different ways to differentiate. You know, the, I think for a while, you, you know, VCs might have focused, you know, the way you differentiate is maybe the industry you focus on, maybe, you know, the, but, but philosophically, a lot of them were just, how do we go get big returns for, you know, venture type investors? Now you see, I mean, here in the States is big, big part of this is, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, all of this, um, uh, or equality, you know, and, and so you see more and more VCs that are really focused on founders of color, black founders, female founders. Uh, we're working to launch some things within RGA in the next couple of weeks that'll really be focused around how do we create more opportunities for black founders. Um, we see it within GSVS that too often, you know, we just, we see a lot of companies that are founded by by white men. How do we how do we help diversify that? How do we help at the the you know earlier stage levels to to make sure that those that that a more diverse set of people are empowered? That's one example. I think there's other others VC wise that are, are focusing in on other things around in, you know, the impact on on say the environment, the impact on you know different ways that we contribute more positively to education. And, and so I think that's, that's a big part of it is, is looking at it and saying, you know, depending on the company, you know, from, if I'm talking to startups, it's really look at the, the, how your values can align with your investor values. Um, and, and, you know, how can you find, you know, if th those right strategic partners, uh, who are who who see the future the same way and mm -hmm. have really honed in, doubled down on specific aspects, specific areas of opportunity. And if I jump on that, what would be the best like, I don't know, for any startup looking for for expansion, maybe in the US, like for all the non-US startups that wants to 
to come in the US? What, what would be the best advices, the key do and don'ts, like out of your mind? Because you've been working a lot with all the startups, you've been engaging a lot with them. What, what would be the main, yeah. I, you know, I think, I think right now being able to have that POV vision of, of uh, being able to articulate a strong POV and story around where things are going and um, being able to build. So, you know, I think that, that first and foremost, how you can, can walk in, it's, it is there, there now more than ever, there's going to be a good deal of assumptions that any investor has to kind of buy into because of the uncertainty, especially if you're thinking about a startup in sports, you're, you're, Hey, you're saying this is really important, but the reality is that, uh, you know, a lot of the organizations within sport may be underwater trying to deal with what we're going through right now. And so while it's promising, it's, you know, and I, I've talked a lot about this this year. There's, I think a lot of opportunity there. The time horizon is the part I'm not sure about. Is it, is it really going to, is the sweet spot going to be earlier in 2021? Is it going to be later? Is it one of those years where you go, Hey, let's make sure we raise enough to get to 2022 when the, the hopeful more reset type moment comes more of the vaccine is out there, more ability to bring people into stadiums. Um, you, you would even maybe advise some of the startup to, to have some, not wait and see, because I guess startups are, are just like, it's a 24 seven, it's survival mode. But yet, you, from your own perspective, you feel like the, the sports industry is a bit not not prepared, but not in capacity to actually uh, engage or fully uh, interact and leverage uh, the use of, of different startup solutions or new technologies because they, they need first, like you mentioned, like kind of uh, protect their ecosystem, make sure they survive the pandemic. And while things take off again, then they, it will restart and it's better for you to be ready at this stage to actually knock at that door once it restarts rather than knocking now when they are trying to survive. Is that what you... Yeah, or, or, you know, I think going back to some of what we were saying as far as the different types of money, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that are coming in from different sources. And so how do you, you know, kind of identify where maybe more of that is, which, I, you know, I think part of the good news is in some cases, not necessarily always having to lean just on the venture investment side, being able to look mm -hmm. at, you know, you read as each new announcement of some new SPAC or some new investment vehicle being set up by, by people in and around sport come up, you know, each one is, they're not just doing it to go buy team assets. They're doing it to buy media assets of, for which the team is really incredibly value valuable intellectual property that can then, really unlock added value where you're going, Hey, we're going to put 5 million into this, but then we're going to, you know, take, take, you know, Liverpool and they're going to be one of the first major users or, you know, on the platform. Wow. Okay. Uh, investment almost just paid for itself. We know what, how huge that'll be, how fast that'll propel. So I think, I think that's, that's a lot of it. I mean, you know, is is it's not as though there's not going to be dollars there. It just, they may come from, different places than they would have two years ago. And so how do you make sure you're going out and getting those thinking more broadly about the right investment partners um, versus maybe a, a past where it would have been, let's find some VCs that hopefully are strategically aligned and that should, should get us through. And, and as a starter, because I think it's always something where 
it's a bit difficult also for not just investors, but also rights holders or any kind of clubs when they engage with a the startup. They need to understand that the team is at the core of it. And even if the product is amazing, if you have a bad team, it will never work out well. The best would be to have an amazing team and a shitty product because they will turn it into something good, actually. But for you, what, what are the behind the scenes or what are the qualities that you're really looking at when you see new startups? Or I know you are also part of the uh, Stadia Venture as an advisor. So when you look at startups, when you look at teams, what, what's your first approach or what, what are the insights or the things you're looking at from a team perspective? You know, I, I think obviously, you know, it's almost kind of cliche to say, but founding teams are really important, I think. Mm-hmm. But I, I, for me, a lot of it, I remember a, a friend of mine one time kind of talking about how within the sports startup space, sometimes you have have people who maybe started as two diehard sports fans who happen to be roommates in a college dorm and, Hey, let's go do this thing. And while it's something that they're really excited about and that they may even be avid users, which, you know, I think that's a good thing when you're starting a company go, would I use this? Is that if nothing else, if I'm building it as something I really want, chances are that there's an opportunity out there. Now that said, you kind of hit on it. The sports business landscape, it's, it's different than a lot of other areas. There are a lot of existing economic models that you have to navigate. And so the, the common pitfall I see is somebody coming in and selling something that is, is sounds great, but the, to actually put it out in the world, an area that we saw a lot of this was sports betting. So many really cool things as a fan. Oh, I'd try that. I'd try that. But then you get into, okay, one, if you can't secure the right rights, that that's literally making breaks. Really going, hey, if I if I don't have confidence that these guys can get me in there, then then this could completely fall on its face. Um, so you know, I think those kind of things can be you know a lot of where people will will fall down a bit is you know how do we find the right you know are we really dependent on a few intellectual property gate holders or you know, gatekeepers that that could make or break this thing, you know, and, and that making sure that you're aligned with what their business needs and that your product is well positioned to solve those needs, not just a fan, something that's great for a fan or an athlete, but that fits into a larger business strategy. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's almost an hour. God, it's, it's passing. It's passing by very quickly. I give these long, long-winded. Yeah, no, no, that's cool. No, I'm just thinking about maybe wrapping up a little bit. But as we, like you said, we, we're we're about to go in 2021. We don't know what the future holds with the vaccine and all that. But for you, what what are the main key trends you're looking at? Or if you were within a club or league or any kind of sports organization, what? what would be your pieces of advice or what would you be looking at or taking like, I know it's, it's tough for the, for the industry today, but trying to leverage some of the new opportunities that are arising and what, what would you be looking at? What would be your advices for, for anyone in the industry today at a club or league level? So honestly, uh, one of the biggest things for me, I know, you know, everybody's, When's the Netflix of the Premier League coming? When's the, you know, and thinking more and more about these, these, you know, direct consumer platforms. 
Um, you know, we have some great ones here in the States, but there's, you know, blackout rules. If I'm a Laker fan in LA, I can't just go get the NBA pass and cut the cord. And so, but what I think in general, and we, we tell this to clients across business and, and, you know, definitely it'd be something Nike would point to and say, has had a huge deal of, to do with their success is this sort of direct to consumer, direct relationship building. You know, one of the, the metrics that I'll talk about with sports organizations, coming we have 5 million we have 20 million fans 100 million fans around the globe and you know okay so what's the average revenue per fan and you know for 70 million of them they they may not they may invest a lot of time but they don't they don't actually buy they're they're watching they're following on twitter their favorite players all this stuff but that energy isn't getting turned into a relationship that you can build on over time through a membership model through something that's very data driven and and that part to me You've got you've to gotta get out of this place where your consumer, where you've essentially rented your consumer relationships for a really high ticket, high, high price tag. It's great, but if they're watching on ESPN or Sky and you don't know, you don't know who that person is and they may be watching for 500 hours a year, you're not actually directly connected to them. And I think especially when you look at a younger fan base that's coming um, that in many cases may not necessarily be watching sport in the same ways or, you know, same volume as they were before. How do you build those kind of models? But the other piece that I think is going to be increasingly important that I don't think people are talking about enough. We hear people talk about the trend of more fans follow athletes than clubs now, you know, uh, uh, people. <laughs> players, brands, players as their own media company. Yeah, I mean, the number of people that may own a LeBron, Cavs, Heat, and Laker jersey, are, are there's probably quite a few of them here in the States who have really followed the players mm -hmm. more than the teams. I think we're going to need to get to and, – and then you see all these players who are making more and more investments and, and you know, and, and everything from technology to a bunch of athletes just made a bunch of money on a giant hot sauce sale <laughs> they, you know, that had pumped into Cholula over here that sold to McCormick. I think you're going to have to find new ways to work with players and teams. And you're going to have to find new ways to kind of create these sort of symbiotic, mutually beneficial relationships. Um, because otherwise, you know, it, the players are, they, they get to own those relationships. And so if you're, you're a team and, and you know, it's, you're, you're fragmented across a lot of different places that get you a ton of exposure, but not necessarily the direct relationship. And then you're a player who's built a big audience and not just the stars of today, but the young guys coming up, they're coming in with these huge audiences already, huge engaged fan bases that I, you know, I read, I read a really great thing about it. You're, you're, you've grown, if you've grown up on, on social media, on the way, you know, following influencers, part of that is the sort of seeing the full story. It's, it's as much about the journey as it is about what happens on the field over here. You know, formula one's done tremendously well with Netflix um, you see my favorite right now, Ryan Reynolds and, and Rob McElhenney buying a whatever fourth or fifth tier soccer team, but knowing that, Hey, just on the sports storytelling side alone, we're probably going to pay for this thing. And even so, I mean, you start thinking about like, I can't wait to watch what the merch and sponsorship deals look like the, the, the ad they did for E4 Williams trailers. That's the current kit sponsor. Nothing against E4 Williams. I'm sure it's a thriving trailer business within in England. I would bet that the next Jersey sponsor is going to be something, something bigger. And, and, something and bigger. I think you're, you're seeing more and more of that here in, here in Austin. Um, really, really excited uh, about the rise of, or, you know, the, the impending arrival of Austin FC. And so much of that is right now being driven by 
our our minister of culture here in Austin, Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk a lot with with James Ruth and some of the team over there. It's like, yeah, you guys kind of have this cheat code. You can do hype videos, and McConaughey's doing VO. That's that's really. Uh, uh, you know, and, and other teams were like, yeah, this man, how do we keep up with that? And, and so I think you're seeing that just that change in dynamic. You're seeing different people come in. You're seeing different ways that 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 can be, you know, that you can create that value. Yeah, I think just, mm. the storytelling part will get more and more important. And, and those who can work well with the the people that that people want in those stories will will thrive. Cool. Cool. Well, Thank you, Kyle. Thank you for the time. That was really much appreciated. I think I think for me that one of the last things that you said around the D2C, so the direct-to-consumer strategy is, is actually quite important, along with building your, your data ecosystem. So knowing your fine, understanding it, but in a way to be able to monetize, because at the end of the day, that's also what it's all about. And you can have millions of fans, but you need to regain control and be able to activate. So that's part of it with a new with a new story. So th- thank you for all the insights. Really much appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we'll have to uh, come back in in early or middle twenty twenty one and see what how how just how off I was. How many things I got. We'll, we'll do some kind of a of a of a new or second version of all the podcast and and hearing back at what people have have told us to see whether summer twenty one they were they were right or not. But really a pleasure to have you with us and. And looking forward to have you again discussing on the on the future of the of the sports and, and entertainment industry. Anytime, anytime. Always great to see you, JB. Thank you, Kyle. Le corner.